So we've been in this series in uh, Hebrews, going through the book of, he, uh, not the book, but the chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith or the Hallmark of Faith. And last week we learned uh, about Abraham from Abraham. And uh, let's give Abraham a big hand. He did a great job last week. That was his first time, I think, uh, speaking to adults. Is that correct? And he just did a phenomenal job. So um, I was just really encouraged to know that our youth are getting that kind of uh, ministry week in and week out. It's a great blessing. Uh, so we are in Hebrews chapter 11, and then uh, we're going to go all the way back again to Genesis, as we have been doing week in and week out, going back to Genesis. Uh, and tonight we're going to look at Genesis chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25. Uh, so we're going to only read two verses from Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to go back and survey some in Genesis chapter 25 tonight. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we are looking at verse, really tonight is just verse 20, but I'm also going to read verse 21 as well because it fits in there a little bit. I'm going to be teaching tonight on Isaac, and next week, uh, Bobby's going to be teaching, Bobby Sayer is going to be teaching uh, from verse 21 on Jacob. But tonight we're looking at chapter 11, verses 20 and 21. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And then verse 21 says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bestowing, uh, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, as as we see how Isaac blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau, Lord, that you would teach us through our time in your word how to bless our children uh, in your name, how to be a blessing uh, and, and to be a part of accomplishing your purpose and will for each of our children and grandchildren, uh, for the future generations even yet to be born. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so let's flip back to Genesis chapter 11 now. And we've been using uh, Hebrews, not, not Genesis 11, sorry, Genesis 25. We've been using Hebrews 11 as a springboard to look at these, these men and women of faith and how they lived for God even in difficult times and how their faith was strong and, and learning these life lessons from them about how to be a people of faith. Now, we remember that the definition of faith from the very first verse of Hebrews 11 is that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confident conviction of things not yet seen. And so it says that he, Isaac, blessed his sons, but he didn't just bless them, he blessed them in faith. He blessed them in faith, and so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, blessing our children, our grandchildren, the future generations yet to come, blessing them in faith. Now, Isaac, of course, was Abraham's son, his son of promise, the, the, the miracle baby, the son that he fathered when he was 99 years old, the son that was born to him when he was 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90 years old. 
when she gave birth to Isaac. And we're going to start looking at verse 20, uh, chapter 25 and verse 19. Now, after Abraham had passed away, Isaac is now the, the son of the promise. You re recall that uh, God had made a promise to Abraham that in your seed, in your offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so now this next generation that Isaac represents has come to the forefront. And in verse 19 of uh, Genesis 25, it says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. So Isaac was 40 when he got married. That's, that's amazing that uh, he waited till he was 40 to get married. And you can read about that whole story uh, in the previous chapter about how Rebekah, his wife, was found and brought to Isaac through really God's providence. Um, we're not going to take time to do that, but he was 40 when he got married. But it says in verse 21 that Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So she wasn't able to have a baby. And it's interesting to me that the same problem that Sarah and Abraham had was some of the same problem that Isaac and Rebekah had. They had the desire to have a baby. Of course, if, if the nations of the world are going to be blessed through your offspring, you have to have some offspring. And so Isaac is 40 years old when he is married. If you look down in verse uh, 26, it tells us that Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah became pregnant. So again, they waited 20 years. 20 years they believed God and waited for Rebekah to get pregnant. And so it says in verse 21, Isaac prayed for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and she conceived. And the children struggled together within her and she said, first I just have to show, just show you that between the prayer being prayed and the prayer being answered was a span of 20 years. And in, in the Bible, it's compressed to a space like this small. And so sometimes we read the Bible, and it's like, wow, Isaac prayed and his prayer was answered. And man, I've been praying for, for, for years about this, and my prayer is yet to be answered. Well, later on, we see down at the bottom that it, Isaac was 60 when his prayer was answered, that, that that little space of this big in the Bible is actually 20 years that they were praying and believing God for a child. But nevertheless, the Lord answered his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But it says that the children struggled together within her. So she had twins within her and they were struggling in her womb. And uh, I, you know, we've We've, my wife has carried four children, and I've, I've watched the miracle of childbirth, uh, and not just childbirth, but the development process, and I can't imagine there being two babies in a womb at the same time. I mean, one is enough, amen? <laughs> but there was two. And it says that the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is from the Lord, why is this happening to me? Have you ever felt that way? 
Lord, we've been waiting for 20 years. We've been praying for 20 years. You answered our prayer. And now this is happening. All of this pain, all of this anguish. Lord, if this is from you, why is this happening? So she went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, but the older shall serve the younger. And so she goes to the Lord and she receives this prophetic word from God about the children in her womb. She gets this word from God for her kids about what's going on and what's happening In verse 24, it says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red and all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Esau means red. Now, I have a picture I found on the internet of Esau. I want to show it to you this morning. This is Esau. Born 1836 B.C., okay? He, it says he came out hairy and red. That's for the kids. And so they called him Esau, which means red. Okay, we can take that down. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. The name Jacob means one who grasps or one who cheats. How would you like that to be your name? You're you're born and they just say this here, here's his name's Jacob, the cheater. The one who's always grasping, the one who's always trying to work out some sort of deal and some sort of angle, always trying to get the upper hand and the advantage. So they named him Jacob. And again, it tells us that Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Verse 20 says, when the boys grew, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So Jacob is a homebody. Jacob is uh, one that likes to stay home. He, he doesn't like to go out. Esau is hunting and he's a man's man. Uh, Esau hunts and kills and... It says in verse 28 that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Jacob stays home. He stays close to home. He stays close to mom. He's a little bit of a mama's boy. Okay. Esau's this warrior hunter who lives in the field, who hunts, and his dad loves to eat the wild uh, game, the wild animals that he would catch and, and serve up. And so Esau's like this redneck driving a big monster truck, you know, with a Confederate flag on the back, and Jacob drives a Prius. So that's (laughs) Jacob and Esau. But it's interesting that before they were born, the Lord had uh, told them what would happen to each one of them. And uh, this prophetic word that went forth Now, I want to look, in in just a minute, I want to look at the blessing that Jacob pronounced on uh, his children, or the the blessing Isaac pronounced on his children. But before that, just looking at this passage, a couple of things. 
for us as, as parents, for us as grandparents, for those of us who aspire to one day have parents, one thing that we need to learn from this portion of the scripture, from this portion of the story, is first and foremost that children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127.3 says that literally, behold, children are a heritage or a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the first blessing that God pronounces upon humanity is this. It says, God blessed mankind, Adam and Eve, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that crawls upon the earth. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Now, I have to say this today because we live in a culture that does not believe that. We live in a culture that's a culture of death. We live in a culture that says that children are, 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 have so little value that you can take their life within their mother's womb. That's the culture that we live in. Since Roe versus Wade was passed, 63 million babies have been slaughtered on American soil. That number is beyond comprehension. But to just help to put this into perspective, that number is greater than the population of 27 states combined. If you combine the populations of Alabama, Louisiana, Kentucky, Oregon, Oklahoma, Connecticut, Utah, Nevada, Iowa, Arkansas, Mississippi, Kansas, New Mexico, Nebraska, Idaho, West Virginia, Hawaii, New Hampshire, Maine, Montana, Rhode Island, Delaware, South Dakota, North Dakota, Alaska, Vermont, and Wyoming, you still would not have the total of number of babies that have been murdered in their mother's womb on American soil. We, don't, we live in a culture that does not believe that children are a blessing, but rather that children are a burden. God's people must not fall into the way of thinking about children that the world thinks about children. Children are not a burden. Children are not a burden. Uh, abortion is abominable. Uh, abortion is murder. Uh, abortion, we pray, is overturned in this country. The, the, it is possible that it could happen this year. I, I hope that you are praying about this. This blight on our country. Now, abortion is sin. And I know in a room this size, there is very likely that there have been ladies here who have had an abortion. And you need to take that to the Lord Jesus. And if you go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you. He will forgive you. But we must not downplay the seriousness of what that is and call it what it is. It is murder, the taking of an innocent human life. 
We value children so, uh, with such little regard that the place they should be safest in their mother's womb is actually the most dangerous place for a child today, is in their mother's womb. We, we not only advocate there aren't abortion, but there's this God-awful practice called partial birth abortion, which is simply infanticide. It's simply murdering a born baby. The, there's a, I don't want to get political tonight, but, um, so I won't. But there are those in our country that advocate for this practice. God hates this. God hates this. Why? Because children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Life and human life is a gift from God. Children are not a burden. Now, are they some, are they, sometimes are they hard work? Yeah, sure. But everything in life that's worth anything is going to have some difficulty attached to it. Amen? But they are a blessing to be received from the Lord. Now, I want you to notice, too, when you listen in the, in the pop culture today when uh, abortion is talked about, it's, it's rarely ever called abortion today. Today it's called women's health. That's what they, they try to twist it and call it something that it's not. It's a lie. It has nothing to do with women's health. What, what, what about the women that are being aborted? What about their health? What about those baby girls that are being slaughtered? What about their health and well-being? Life is a gift from our Creator, our Creator God. It is a gift from the Lord. And so when we hear this talked about, when it's talked about abortion, what the advocates say, well, you know, this mom, I mean, how is she going to raise this baby and what, is, what are they saying by that? They're saying children are not a blessing, they're a burden. That's what they're saying. Well, that's not what God's word says. God's word says that children are a blessing. Well, and, and then the, the, the whole idea that people are getting pregnant and they don't know how it's happening. And, and listen, there's a great way to not get pregnant. Well, the, 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 the dad's not in the picture, so... They're going to live a life of poverty, so we'll just kill the baby before they're born into a life of poverty. Man, I'd rather be born poor than not be born at all. Who, 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 who are we to make that decision when God has granted the gift of life? Some of the greatest minds have come in from the most difficult of circumstances and places. It's very likely that one of the, 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 the most bright and brilliant of, of people have been murdered before they ever had a chance to live their life. This is stunting the, the human race, in fact. It's very likely that someone who, who maybe even had the cure for cancer was aborted in his mother's womb, in her mother's womb. This is an abominable practice, but it's because we, people do not believe the word of God. They do not believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. We need to look at children not as burdens, but as blessings. Amen.
And there are blessings that are from the Lord. From the Lord. Additionally, children are not second-class citizens. Children are not second-class citizens. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, it says that children were brought to Jesus that he may lay his hands on them and bless them and pray over them. But the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such is, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus laid his hands on them and blessed them. The disciples had it wrong. The disciples thought, oh, Jesus is so important. Jesus is so busy. He, he needs to minister to adults. All, all these kids around him, this is a distraction. And Jesus rebuked his disciples. And he said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Listen, children are not second-class citizens in the church. Children are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Children are not second-class citizens in the family. They have an important place in the spiritual life of a family and of a church. Not just in the future, but now. But now. That's what I, one of the things I love about our Sunday night church is that the kids are in here with us. It's a blessing. Kids, I want you to know you are a blessing. We love you. We love that you're here on Sunday nights. I know sometimes you might make a little bit of noise and you know what? That's all right. We're just glad that you're here. Children are not just the future, but they're part of us now and they can be used by God now they're they can be filled with the Holy Spirit now they can pray and receive answers to their prayers now their faith is so unhindered and uninhibited the beauty of the faith of a child is a wonderful thing Children have an important place in our lives and in our family and in our church. We must view children as a blessing. So the first way, the first thing we have to understand if we are going to bless our children is we must view them first as a blessing to us. It's the first thing. Uh, this past, uh, a couple days ago, uh, I was running an errand with my third born child, Asher. He's six. And we were going to pick up some pizza. And uh, on the way there, he, he asked me this question. And uh, he, 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 let me give you a little bit of a backstory. We, every night before I put our kids to bed, I pray with them every night. I go from bed to bed to bed and I pray with them and I bless them and I spend a little bit of time with them. And for a season of time, uh, we had been doing a, a group prayer at night before bed that we were calling family prayer time. But life has been a little bit hectic lately, and while I have been going around and praying with them individually, we haven't been doing family prayer time. 
the way we were uh, or had been doing previously. And Asher, while we were picking up pizza from the back seat, he says, Dad, how come we haven't been doing family prayer time anymore? And I just said, I don't know. Do you want to do family prayer time? Yeah, Dad, I really miss family prayer time. And so, you know, my six-year-old son made me feel about this big, spiritually. And so we got home, and because the Lord has stirred us up through Asher, we're doing family prayer time again uh, as a family before we go to bed at night. And I, I just share that story with you to show you that children can be used by God right now, right now. But it starts with us viewing them as a blessing and not a burden. The second thing I want to show you from this passage in in, uh, chapter 25 is what God tells uh, Rebecca in verse 23. He says, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Each child has a unique calling and gifting from the Lord. Each child has a unique and divine calling and gifting from the Lord. No two people are the same. No two people are carbon copies of each other. We are all different and uniquely, the Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says similar thing about Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. A similar thing is said about John the Baptist before he is born. And a similar thing is said about Samson to his parents before he is born. And the idea from all of these scriptures is that each child has a unique calling and gifting from the Lord. And so what we need to do as parents and grandparents is is see that, is recognize that. And then the third thing to share with you tonight is that as parents and grandparents, we partner with God to cultivate their gifting and bring their calling to fruition. We partner with God to cultivate their gifting and bring their calling to fruition. And that is how we bless our children. I want you to flip over to to chapter 27, and I want to look at the story of Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau. I'm going to read this story uh, for us tonight. So kids, it's story time. All right, story time, kids. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could no longer see... He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And Esau answered, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now take your weapons and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food 
such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Rebecca's doing just like uh, Sarah had done, eavesdropping on uh, Abraham. And, and so here she is. She's listening. She's um, a little bit nosy, but nevertheless, she's, she knows what's going on. She, she's eavesdropping, and, and she hears Isaac tell this to Esau. And so when Esau went to the field to hunt... And to bring it in, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I might eat it and may bless you before the Lord and before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare, for, prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father and eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and he bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be upon me, my son, only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. And Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the goat she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the, put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And so she dresses up Jacob to look like Esau. She puts the skin of the goats on Jacob so that he will feel hairy and not smooth. And so Jacob went to his father and said, my father. And Isaac said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Jacob here is mocking the Lord. He's using the name of the Lord in vain here to try and steal this blessing. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him the wine and he drank and his father. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near me and kiss me, my son. So he came near him and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell as of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth 
and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And so Isaac blessed Jacob thinking that he was blessing Esau. Verse 30, it says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he prepared delicious food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, that I ate it before you came in, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered to Esau and said, behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for his servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and when you grow restless, you shall break the yoke from your bro- break his yoke from your neck. Verse 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And then Esau plans in his heart to murder his brother after Isaac passes away. And so Isaac learns of this and decides to send Isaac away. And in verse 28, or chapter 28 and verse 3, he blesses Jacob again and he says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a companies of people May he give you the blessing of Abraham and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away. As parents and grandparents, we partner with God to cultivate the unique gifting and calling on each child. This is what Isaac was doing when he blessed Jacob and Esau. He was partnering with God to bring about their unique calling. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into this tonight, um, but God has instituted three realms of authority and three realms of government, if you will. He's instituted government in the state. He's instituted government in the church. And he's also instituted government in the family. These are the three institutions that God has ordained. The state, the church, and the family. 
And these institutions have authority inherent within them, God-given authority. And so the state cannot tell the church how it's to conduct its God-given and God-ordained business. Likewise, the state cannot tell the family how to conduct its business. Because the family is submitted to God, the church is submitted to God, and the state is submitted to God. Because of this, there is authority in the realm of a family. And the head of the household has God-given, delegated authority. And so if, if the household is a, a, a family as God has designed it to be, a, a father and a mother, that father is the head of the household, the Bible tells us. And that father, therefore, has God-given authority in the realm of that family that is unique and powerful. Now, some, some families are not like this. They're, we live in a broken world, a, a world of sin, and, and things are not always this way. And so uh, sometimes a, a mother is raising children on her own. And in that sense, the, the realm of authority, that, that authority falls to her as the head of the household. We see Joshua exercise this authority when he says in Joshua chapter four, uh, 24, verse 5, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what Isaac was doing as he blessed his children and he blessed them in faith, he was putting his faith in the promise of God and in the providence of God. And he was declaring over them with the authority that God had given him what was going to happen to his children. And I believe that this is God's delegated authority that we as heads of household have to extend the blessing of God to the next generation. In Hebrews 11, it says that Jacob blessed Esau and Isaac, or I'm sorry, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in faith. Faith in what? Faith in what he did not yet see. Faith in the promise of God, in the word of God, and in the providence of God. And we, as grandparents and parents, fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers, we must do the same pronouncing blessing over our children and grandchildren in faith. Faith in what? Faith in the promises of God and faith in the providence of God to bring it to pass. Now, what I find astounding is the circumstances surrounding the blessing. Everything is not going the way it should be going in this situation. Rebecca, his wife, Isaac's wife, is exploiting a feeble and disabled man's handicap. That's ungodly. She's lying. She's deceiving. Jacob, who goes in to steal the blessing, he is selfish. He is lying. He is cheating. He is stealing. His concern is not with the compromised morality of the situation, but rather his concern is what's going to happen to me if I get caught. He doesn't tell his mom, we shouldn't do this. 
We shouldn't abuse an elderly man's handicap for our own personal gain. This is ungodly. No, he says, what's going to happen to me if I get caught, mommy? That's Jacob. He's more than happy when his mom says, I have a really good plan. He's more than happy to go through with it. We have Isaac, who is at this moment, listen to me, willfully disobeying God, refusing to submit to God's will, and instead trying to accomplish his own will because he loved Jacob more than he loved Esau. God's word had said, the prophetic word had gone forth, Jacob is going to be the one who carries the family line. Jacob is the one who is going to be blessed. It's in Jacob and through Jacob that the promise of Abraham will be fulfilled. That is what God had told Rebekah and Isaac before the children were born. So Isaac here is trying to subvert the plan of God to have his plan come to fruition by blessing Esau because he loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. Yet in the midst of all of this sin, God is still working. Isn't that amazing? Rebecca's doing the wrong thing. Jacob's doing the wrong thing. Isaac's doing the wrong thing. Esau's just clueless. But God is the one who is moving providentially, bringing about his ultimate will and purpose. In the midst of all of this sin, God is still redeeming the situation and his purpose is being accomplished. And so for all of us who live in, in, in not a perfect family, in broken families, and, and whether or not we have a, a, a mom and a dad, there's still brokenness because of sin in all of our lives and all of our families. This story should give us all hope because with God, there is always hope and there is always hope for redemption. And so you might not be the best parent. You might not have had the best parent. You may have had a horrible example growing up. Guess what? God's plan and purpose for your life and for your kid's life and for your grandchildren's life can still be accomplished. Amen. All of this is not resting on our shoulders. In fact, the blessing that, that uh, Isaac pronounces, it is in faith believing God to bring it to pass. And so this gives us hope because God accomplishes his purpose even in the midst of of very uh, suspect circumstances. Isaac even invokes this blessing under false pretense. He thinks he is blessing Esau. So even though the circumstances aren't ideal, they do not negate negate or nullify. Hear me in this. This is the, the, the whole crux of the matter. Even though the circumstances aren't ideal, even though they are sinful, They do not negate or nullify the content of Isaac's faith in God. Parents, you need to hear me in this. The situation in your household might not always be ideal, but they do not negate or nullify the content of your faith in God to believe God for your children. 
He blessed Jacob thinking he was blessing Esau, but it was because he blessed him in faith, in faith in God, in God's promise and in God's providence that God brought it to pass. Likewise, what this means is that as we put faith in God for our kids and our grandkids in his promises and in his providence, it transcends our current state, it transcends even our current circumstances, and it even transcends what our minds can comprehend. You may say, well, how does this work? I'd like to know the nuts and the bolts on how this blessing your kids works. How does this work? Teach me how this works. I can't teach you how it works. I can just tell you that it does work. That's all I can do. I can't teach you how it more works uh, more, any more than I can teach you that when I go out to eat enchiladas this evening, I'm going to feel good afterwards. I'm going to feel, it's going to make me feel good. How does that work? I don't know how it works. I don't even need to know how it works for me to reap the benefit of it working. Don't, don't, we, 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 how can I put this into words? We, we, we need to not, we need to not fall into the trap of trying to apply the scientific method to every single thing in our lives. We don't do this in so many other areas of life. You, you send emails and they show up and you don't sit there and say, well, for me to use email, I have to know exactly how this is going to work. No, you just send your email. Before you send a text, you don't say, well, I can't use text messaging because I don't understand how this is going to work in every intricate detail. No, you just use it and you enjoy the benefit of it. So then why do we approach spiritual matters that way? It doesn't make any sense. There are certain things that literally cannot be proven scientifically. It's, it's a, we're, we're product of the enlightenment, quote unquote, which is really was not named properly, if you ask me. Thank you. So, so how does this work? I don't know how it works, but I can tell you that it does work. And that what matters is the content of our faith and the object of our faith. We don't put our faith in our kids. We put our faith in God. And we speak life and blessing over them. Now, um, and it transcends even what we can comprehend as God moves and accomplishes his will and purpose. Now, Isaac and Rebekah had a specific word from God. And I believe that you can get a specific word from God for your kids. I believe that. You can press into that. You can seek God for that. He can share that with you. And you can begin to pray that into your children and train your children in those things. But if you don't have a specific word from God, there is still the general word of God, God's general revelation that we should be acting on all the time. And so in conclusion today, I want to quickly, quickly give you parents and grandparents seven ways to bless your children and grandchildren. I'm going to go through them quickly as we wrap up here tonight. And this is, again, 
not based on a specific word for each individual child, which I do believe you can receive, but rather this is based on God's general revelation that we have in his word, which applies in every situation and circumstance. So the number one way you can bless your child is you can teach them to serve the Lord. The number one way you can bless your child is you can teach them to serve the Lord. Listen, it is God's will that your children and grandchildren serve the Lord. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires, his will is that all should come to salvation and to the knowledge of the truth. And so the number one way you can bless your children is you can show them, you can teach them, you can model for them how to serve the Lord. Realizing and recognizing that your children are sinners just like you. How many of you have found that to be true? Amen. They are not perfect little angels. They need the same medicine we need, the gospel. And so we, the number one way we bless our children is we teach them the gospel. We teach them how to serve the Lord. We teach them how to deal with their sin. When they're acting up, when they're talking back, when they're rebelling, when they're, when they're living in an ungodly way, even as a young child, we, we, we call out rebellion for what it is. It is sin. And we teach them how to take their sin to the cross of Jesus Christ. They need the gospel just like we need the gospel. So number one, we teach them to serve the Lord. Number two, we affirm and reinforce who God made them to be. And we do it in faith. We affirm and reinforce who God made them to be. And so if we have little boys, we affirm and reinforce that they are going to be men of God one day. If we have a little boy, he's not going to be a woman one day. He's not going to grow up to be a woman. He's going to grow up to be a man. And if we have little girls, we affirm and reinforce that they're going to grow up and be godly women. And we affirm and reinforce that they will be godly husbands and that they will be godly wives and that they will be godly fathers and that they will be godly mothers. In our household, we talk a lot about, well, when you're a husband, well, when you're a father, well, when you're a wife, well, when you're a mother, you know, things like, well, when I'm a mom, this, blah, blah, blah. Right, okay, let's talk about that. And so we, we, we talk a lot about how uh, when, when they have their own children and when they have their own spouse and, and, and th those conversations are regular in our home. And, and in those conversations, what we are doing is we are affirming and reinforcing who God made them to be. Because if you don't do that, guess what? There's a whole line of people lined up ready to tell your kids who God made them to be. We must do that. We must do that. Do not buy into the world's lie that they can determine these things for themselves. No. We have the responsibility to affirm and reinforce their gender, who God made them to be. Amen. Number three is we model for them godliness and righteousness. We bless our children by modeling godliness and righteousness. What this does for them is that we are hoping that they would have a well-formed idea 
of what a godly marriage looks like. And that they would learn how to and, and know what to look for in a godly spouse. I want to model for my sons what a godly father and husband looks like. So that when they are husbands and fathers, they know what it means to be a godly husband and father. Heather wants to model for my sons what a godly wife and mother looks like. So that when they come of age, they know what it looks like. They know what to start looking for in a spouse. So we model godliness and righteousness for them. This is how one of the ways that we bless our children and we do it in faith. We are hopefully not hypocrites. We hopefully are not one way at church and another way at home. That teaches our children that the word of God is irrelevant, that um, all of this is just a farce. It will teach your children to not love the Lord. And so we model for them godliness and righteousness. I speak to my wife with respect and love. Why? Because I want my sons to treat their mother with respect and love. Why? Because I want them to treat their wives one day with respect and love. And so I do not talk down to my wife. If Heather and I have a disagreement, we talk about it behind closed doors. Amen. Because we want to model for our children what love and respect looks like in a marriage so that when they come of age, they too will look for a godly spouse to have a godly marriage. Number four, one of the ways we bless our children is we guard their media consumption. We guard their media and social media consumption. We guard their internet usage. Listen, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter three that Satan is subtle. He sneaks in lies and deceit and ungodly attitudes and all kinds of stuff, garbage through entertainment and media. And so we guard that. It's one of the ways that we bless our children. Parents, you must have a robust internet filter at home. This is a, an absolute must for parents to protect your children from the trash that is in the world. Amen. We guard their media consumption. Number five, and, and I know that this is, uh, might be stepping on some toes at this point, but if I haven't done it already, well, here we go. Um, I, I think that in the world we live in today, increasingly parents should be praying about and considering deeply their children's education system. And, and if at all possible, finding a way to educate the child in a Christian school or in a homeschool environment. The, the, the school systems, the state-run school systems have become indoctrination centers for the devil teaching little two and three and four and five-year-olds how to practice perverted sexual acts to the littlest of children. What in the world? Parents, 
We have a responsibility to not see our children's minds subjected to this garbage. Uh, Teaching children that they're inherently racist. Man, my kids don't have a racist bone in their body. It's a lie. It's demonic. So parents today, like never before, we really need to consider, prayerfully consider, where and how our children are being educated I know that it's a sacrifice, trust me, I know. But I thank God that my parents made that sacrifice for me. And we're doing all that we can to make that sacrifice for our kids as well. Uh, Number six way that we can bless our children is by raising our children in the house of God, bringing them to church. I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. But let me tell you, You are blessing your children tonight, parents. Your children are blessed that they tonight are in the presence of God, with the people of God, worshiping God. I thank God for my parents that brought me to the house of the Lord. When every single time the doors weren't open and lots of times, every single time the door was open and lots of times when the doors even weren't open, It is a blessing to be raised in church, in the house of God. And I want to specifically take a minute to just honor my mother for that, for that sacrifice and that work, because of course my dad was involved in the ministry, and so that that job fell on her to get her five sons to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I could count, by the time I was a grown adult, I could count on one time, on one hand, the times I had missed church. She raised us, my mom raised us in the Lord's house, and I want to honor her for that. I want to honor all the moms for that. It's important work. And number seven ways that we bless our children is we discipline them. We discipline them. If we spare the rod, the Bible says, we spoil the child. Uh, an undisciplined child is, um, is uh, well, the, the, the Bible says what happens is that that child, when it grows old, actually is a reproach to the parents. And um, I heard somebody say this recently. It said, he, he said, don't let your children do anything that make you not like them. I thought that was really good advice. Can we just be honest? Sometimes we love our kids, but sometimes we really don't like them. Can we be honest? And this, this person's advice was, don't let your kids do anything that makes you not like them. Another way to put that is, don't let your kids do anything that is ungodly or sinful. We must discipline our children. We must teach them the ways of God, the word of God. These are seven quick ways that we bless our children in a general way. And of course, I do believe, like I said, that you can get a specific word from God for your kids and begin to pray that into existence, to begin to speak that over them with the authority that God has given you as their parents. And that is something that we do uh, in our household Um, That's something that was modeled for me by my parents. That's something that was modeled for them by their parents. 
Like I said earlier, every night before they go to bed, I go and I bless each one of my children. I pray that they would grow into be men and women of God with godly spouses, godly kids, and godly grandkids. That's what I'm believing God for, for my kids, that they would have godly spouses, godly kids, and godly grandkids. And I believe that we are partnering with God to bring that calling and those giftings to fruition. And that is our role as parents. Amen. Amen. And um, so let me encourage you parents to be praying with your kids, to be blessing your children, to be laying your hands upon them and calling forth the blessing of God upon them and doing it in faith, trusting in God that he will bring it to fruition. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is that lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you for children, that they are a blessing from the Lord. Lord, I thank you for the children of this church, of Destiny Church. Lord, I pray for each one of them, Lord, that they would know and serve you all the days of their lives. Lord, that they would grow in their love for you. Lord, that as they reach adulthood and maturity, that their love for you would grow and abound. Lord, that you would bless all of the children of destiny with godly spouses who love and serve you, who are committed to your word. Lord, that you would bless their union with godly offspring, with godly children and godly grandchildren. Lord, that, that we would see a, 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 a heritage continue to go forth from this house of children and families that love and serve you. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have blessed our church over, Lord, these last 80 years. Lord, we thank you for the many good and godly examples that we have had of faithful fathers and mothers, faithful grandmothers and grandfathers. Lord, that showed us the way. Help us now to lead and to raise the kids that you have given us and the grandkids that uh, we have to teach and to train them the word of God, to partner with you to seeing their calling and their giftings come to the forefront. Lord, that they would accomplish everything that you've laid out for them to accomplish. Lord, I pray that you would continue to raise up a generation that loves and serves you, that is committed to your word, that is committed to the gospel, and that's committed to the Great Commission. We ask these things in faith, in you and in your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.